Hello and welcome back to Mommy Jojo Uncut Mojo Injection episode 22 and it's National Novel Writing Week so I have an award winning author Angela Jackson, a dear friend of mine, I think she's wonderful and she was recently named one of the City of Literature's Emerging Writers of the Year. She's won tons of awards by day. She's a coach and lecturer in psychology and education. She's written some amazing features that I've read. Um, that she, oh, just she's such a fascinating person, and you you will know that if you tune in um, shortly. She's just I'm so pleased to have had Angela around for a chat think the world of this woman and she's going to inspire you so much so enjoy guys i've had a really interesting week it's been tough um for those of you that follow my social it's been a really tough few days um the messages i've had from people and the support as what has made me bounce back um i've been blown away by the number of messages i've had because it's difficult when you're known as the queen of positivity and you put a post out that really isn't and you make yourself very vulnerable and it can be taken the wrong way. I get that, okay? Ego, it impacts us all and it does pull us from our mojo, but we do have ego. We can get defensive, I can get defensive, things can be taken out of context. Ego impacts us all. Um, I'm not about ego, I never have been. I'm not about logic over fairness. I'm not about politics. I'm about kindness, empathy, making as much noise as possible so that things that are wrong are changed. I am very much the person that follows their heart. I listen to my readers and I've been doing a lot of research um, because you know I'm incredibly inquisitive. And this weekend alone, I spoke with several leaders who I respect in the field of kids' education. And I'm currently working on a proposal to ensure that first-come, first-served basis events for young children are banned across schools. This policy is going to be put in place because the impact of a child's mental health and also a parent's mental health is... You know, this is an issue. People are writing to me to tell me their kids are being excluded and people are letting it happen. Not just councils. Councils work hard. They're amazing people. I will be joining my council. That's one of the best things that's come out of this. But communities should not let that happen. Kids should not be excluded. Kids should not be ignored. Parents should not be ignored when they make suggestions. And I've learned a lot and I'm just so thankful for the support I've had. And I think those of you that have read my book and tune into this weekly will genuinely understand the work I do and why I have the passion I have. So I just wanna say a massive thank you. You will never know how much it means to me. Now, let's get Angela on. Thanks guys. So welcome, darling. Thank you. Nice to see you. Always nice to see you. And you're just totally talented and an inspiration for me (laughs) because you're an award-winning author, for one, which is amazing. Thank you. Book's amazing. I've read it. It's so cool when you read a book and you've met the author and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I get that when I read a book and then I'll meet them at the book festival or something and... I get a real thrill from that. I love it. Oh, yeah. Bet. Yeah. I mean, I just, oh, I'm so inspired by the way you write. Where did this all come from? Did you always have that vision to be a writer? Um, I don't know if I had the vision to be a writer, but I've always written. And it was the first thing I was ever paid for. So in school, I wrote a story and 
back in the days when you could be sent to the headmistress's office and she would give you money. <laughs> um, that's what happened. I wrote a story and my form tutor sent me to the, the headmistress and um, I can't remember what she gave me, 50p or something. And, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> Get paid for this. And then, and then I, I just uh, didn't write at all for the first part of my career. Um, all through the all through my twenties, uh, I had a child, got married, yada yada, just normal life. Um, but then one day, um, I uh, found a lump in my breast. Um, went for a mammogram, and it was all fine. Everything turned out okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah, but um, I was sitting in the waiting room. And it, it was a fabulous NHS facility. It's where you got the same day results. You stayed on the premises. Um, really nice place. A lot of us around. And, you know, every time you made eye contact with somebody, you knew that you were both waiting for the same answer. Oh, you, yeah. but, you know, and, and so they'd do something. They'd, you know, uh, take a needle biopsy. Then you'd go and walk around the grounds, and then you go back, and and then at the end of it, you have to go into the surgery to meet the doctor. And I, I bet everybody does that walk holding the breath. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think that you know, life is full of those moments, those dramatic moments, mm-hmm. where you know you're waiting for an answer, or you know something could change your life. And I thought that every person in that room, their life would be changed in some way, whatever answer you got, mm-hmm. you know, so you're sitting there sort of bargaining and saying, you know, well, it, if, you know, if everything's all right, you know, I'm never going to eat another bar of fruit and nut again, you know, that kind of, yeah. but, um, so that's where it started. I had the whole day off for that because it was a whole day thing. Um, and I got home mid-afternoon. And something in me just wanted to write it down. And I started to write it actually as a screenplay. And I had no idea what a script looked like. And I struggled with it for a couple of weeks, maybe three or four weeks actually. And then I thought, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to put in a script. Do I put what the actors do? Or And I was sitting there looking at a wall full of books thinking well, I know how to write a book, you know, I can, I've can. i read a lot of books, I've never seen a script. And so I started again from scratch and started to write it as a book. And of course, then I realised I didn't really know how to write a book, but I knew how to form a story. And I think that's in most of us. I think most of us, we've grown up with stories, do you yeah. know what I mean? We, we are told stories as children. I think when we when we something happens to us we make a story of, of it we make sense of it so that we can tell it to somebody else so you know when you get home from work and something's happened and you know you form the story so it's got a beginning a middle and an end and um so luckily um uh, i had a friend who uh read it and she she was actually a lecturer in english literature and she passed it to a friend who put it on the desk of an agent who loved it and so I was signed up really quickly and I know that I know that's not the route I know I know I know I know that's not really what happens I mean that was a bit of a fairy tale um however um I know how difficult it is to get published because I did have the tricky second novel syndrome Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I, my confidence strangely just uh, plummeted after I was published I started feeling a bit a bit like a fraud I, you know I've not trained for this you know my trainings in psychology and and I, you know I, I don't know if I can write a second book and maybe I'm a fluke and all of that all stuff that you voices, tell you, yeah, uh, limiting beliefs. They absolutely. Think the for them now. Yeah, it, absolutely. And so, I started writing in a different way, in not as natural a way, in oh. not my own voice. And and I did a, a masters in creative writing, which further buried my voice. Really? Yeah. So the masters in creative writing actually took away your creativity. I I think. What I was trying to do, I was on a course where um, where lit- literary fiction was very highly valued and commercial fiction, which is what I write, mm-hmm. um, and what I love writing, and I think what I do most naturally, that's my voice, yeah. um, where commercial fiction wasn't really valued. And so, What's the difference between the two for people that may not know? Sure. So commercial fiction is... Uh, is very accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about things we all know about, you know, day to day, real life things that happen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, often it it has quite a, a funny edge to it. Or, so that's commercial fiction. The kind of books that you you'd also um, you, in addition to picking up in you know chains and and book uh, bookshops. You would also see perhaps on supermarket shelves or in the airport or so I mean that's a very broad definition mm-hmm. literary fiction um, I'm gonna say that you have to work harder to read literary fiction yeah and it has more let's say more symbolism in it and mm-hmm. uh, probably more depth um, and I, I think there was a value judgment placed on literary fiction on the course I was on um, so I I felt quite out of my depth. I felt like a, like my my voice wasn't my voice wasn't valid. My my voice was just not right. Really, I didn't feel like an author. Even though while I was on the course, I won um, Edinburgh International Book Festival's first book award. That's insane. Well done. Against forty two international authors, many of whom were writing literary fiction, and. Mm. Even that couldn't pull me out of. I, I don't think I'm a writer. I don't no. think I'm a writer. So actually, um, that agent that I got so easily, I also lost her so easily because I lost my way. Lost your confidence. I lost you my lost confidence. Your authenticity. Absolutely, I lost my authenticity. I really did. And my agent did try to discourage me from doing the master. She said, "You you can write. You've done it. You've written a book." that is out there on the shelves with, with barely any editing done to it. So you can clearly do it. But I didn't believe that I could do it. I felt as though I needed academic training in writing. And that's nonsense. That's it's, nonsense. It's, I hear that voice too. I mean, I was with a, I went with a smaller publisher. I didn't really have that much help. Um, the editors, oh, it's, it's great, it's fine, you know. And I was like, what do you want to change? Do you want to change yes. more? Yeah. Um, whereas if it had been a bigger publishing house, they may have ripped my book to shred, you know, apart. I mean, Sean was very much, we want your authentic voice, that's yes. this kind of thing. So I thought, well, I'll go with it because of the style of my book. But I heard all those th- voices, oh, would a bigger publisher have um, jazzed it up more? Should I get, should I do more courses? And, and the book was resonating with people. Yes. And I was going, I'm picking it to 
pieces. That's the thing. And when you read books, don't you want to hear the author's voice? Yeah. That's what we love about reading. Yeah. We love reading the authentic voice. Uh-huh. And so I can see why you're publishing, because your book is very authentic. I mean, you jump off the pages. And so I can see why your publisher's gone, no, let's let's not rip it to shreds. Let's, you know, let's have you on the page. Because that's what people want. They do want an authentic voice. And I think, you know, when you say to people, well, what's your favourite author? It's it's somebody who resonates with you, somebody who's talking about the stuff that that in some way touches you or they're able to tell a story in a way that that you understand and so, so yeah, I think the authentic voice is amazing. But you do get that in literary fiction as well as commercial fiction. Uh-huh, okay. um, but yes, I think it's very easy for us to uh, to think, well, we're a fluke or we're a one-off. Oh, you know, if we have a bit yeah. of success, and and that's a shame that we do that really. And we need people around us uh-huh. to say it's not a fluke yeah. and oh you, you happen to be good at this but you have been doing it for a long time albeit not in in a in a professional way I think it's a cultural thing though because if we lived in America they've got so much confidence yeah. whereas yeah. in the UK it's that fear of shining too bright or getting too big for your boots mm. you know and it's if you have a talent you need to be reminded of it mm. and encouraged yeah. and you know it's tricky I think it is tricky and I think also it's about fitting in and I think we have these fixed ideas of what an author is and what they look like and what they sound like you know and you know I'm from Wigan and working very much a working class upbringing Um, I live here in Edinburgh now and love it but you know that is not a traditional route into a writing career and so I've sat in, uh, for example, the Authors' Year at the International Book Festival here in Edinburgh and I felt completely out of place. And that's not because anybody made me feel that way. Yeah. It's because I made me feel that exactly. way. I didn't have the same accent as these people. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the same background as these people. I didn't go to the same schools and, yes. and universities as these people. So... And I think it's very easy to make yourself isolated mm-hmm. and get into that place where you're just you're very wobbly. And it's easy. It's easier not to do something, isn't it? And it's yeah. easier just to say, "Well, I can go back into teaching," or yeah. you know. But actually, I mean, I've written the second book now. Amazing. I'm, yeah, I'm editing it now, um, and I think um, I think my agent was probably right that my second book needed to come out a lot sooner than it did. Um, I, I've probably almost certainly lost the, the readers that, that I had five years ago. And so I'm starting from scratch. I'm almost going to be a new writer again because I've lost that momentum. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? It's still there. And I mean, I mean, let's talk about the first book first, because, you, you know, the awards, it's so impressive. And I've read the whole thing, and what you were saying about the breast cancer, it takes me back to that part in the booth, yes. and going to the pub after, when they yeah. having the gins. And I was just getting really sucked into the story and really yeah. rooting for... I mean, I was at one point rooting for the hubs as well, though. You know, right. you sort of flip between. <laughs> um, so... Because part of me was thinking, were you ever tempted to write a non-fiction, but 
is it easier in a way to bring the characters in were all the characters based on someone yeah I think I just I think I like writing fiction um and uh, and I like inventing characters as well I think that's a really interesting part of writing yeah it's fun it is um I was never tempted to to write non-fiction um I, I suppose you know the char- none of the characters are based on anybody in particular mm-hmm. but there are bits of you know I mean I, I sort of brought my nan to life again a little oh, bit in, in one of the characters and so that's nice uh, you know you can you can bring bits of people back to life or people you've lost touch with and, and inject bits of them into characters oh I love that <laughs> it's funny because the only part of my book chapter 3 that's kind of fiction is based on Sophie who's not a real person okay. and I had so much feedback about that chapter but she was based on I said at the end of the chapter P.S. you know Sophie's not a real person right. um, but she's based on so many people okay you know that that perfect you know everything has to be perfect okay um, I, I love the thought of bringing lots of characters but for me I would probably like me base some characters on people that I knew but I would sort of feel like I had to ask for permission if I was, you know, going to base yeah. it too much. I think, yeah, I think that would that would just be, uh, you'd have to do that. That would just be manners, wouldn't it, if you were going <laughs> to basically recreate them in the book. Uh-huh. But I think, you know, there are qualities in people that just stand out. Yeah. And, and even people you don't know, you might be sitting next to somebody on the bus uh-huh. and you're chatting with them and your writer's brain is going, I'm having that. I'm a writer, anything you do see me be used in a story, be careful what you see. I mean, the amount of blog posts that I've put out just from being inspired by someone that was either an absolute asshole or said something really, I mean, words are so powerful. Yeah. They're so powerful. Well, you know, they say never piss off a writer because, you know, they might put you in a book and kill you. Um, and and I've, I've actually done that. <laughs> well, a guy who fired me when I was a very young mum, you know, and, and I was uh, a young single mum and I had to, you know, pay the mortgage and, and all the rest. And, and he knew my circumstances and he, uh, he fired me for disagreeing with him in a meeting because oh. I was a young upstart of a woman. He was intimidated by a strong woman. Yeah, so, uh, so I kill him in a book. <laughs> yes, karma's a bitch. Oh, I love it, I love it. So he, re- he, he uh, uh, meets with a nasty end in the second book. Oh. <laughs> no spoilers, but yeah. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait to read the next one. <laughs> Thank wait. you, yeah. I've really enjoyed doing it. Um, it's not a follow-on from the first book. Completely new set of characters, completely different situation. Because I want to know what happens. Okay, well, it's um, it's about infidelity and it's also about uh, how we live with um, certain things that happen to us in life. So uh, my book, the second book, opens up... Um, with a, a scene from uh, from childhood, and the the main character Mark is about to um, play the the winning. I don't understand cricket terminology, but the winning point anyway yeah. for the match. And he swings the bat, and he swings this cricket bat so hard 
that it hits his best friend on the temple and kills his best friend. Wow. And so I just think, how do you live with something like that? I mean, it's not something I've experienced, and I don't know anybody who has experienced it. Mm-hmm. But you read and, and hear all the time about people who've accidentally killed somebody, you know, in a road traffic accident or whatever. Uh-huh. And I just thought, how would a character live with that yeah. and what happens? And and so I explore the turmoil of that and how... Um, how a marriage can be sometimes based on fixing. He marries somebody who can fix him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what happens when that person is fixed? Y- you know, the dynamic of the marriage would have to change. And so I've read up a lot on um, infidelity. I was going to say I've researched a lot of infidelity, but I've read, I've read up a lot about infidelity. And... What strikes me, I didn't know this um, before I started reading up on it, but what strikes me is we, we tend to think that infidelity is about about sex, about just going for um, somebody, you know, a younger, slimmer model. is the stereotype. Um, and actually, it it's not really that. I mean, there's obviously some element of that, and, and individual cases would vary. But it's actually about seeing yourself through somebody else's eyes, somebody who doesn't think you're broken, mm-hmm. somebody who thinks you're great the way you are. Yeah, they don't want to change you. They don't want to change you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I find that fascinating. And I, I, I mean, I find relationships fascinating anyway. You know, if anybody starts talking about the relationship, I'm all ears. Oh, yeah, me too. I, mean, love I think it. that's a writer's dream. Yeah, isn't absolutely it? love it. You know, how relationships work and, you know, what keeps them on the rails. And, you know, um, I mean, I've been with my husband now for 24 years. And so we've got that, that long. Uh, relationship that go, that kind of long relationship that goes through everything. Do you know uh-huh. what I mean? Oh, so, so, and and how do you keep it together? Do you know what I mean? And I think there's no secret. And I'm very interested in in what what people say about how they, um, what does what does Esther Perel call it? She calls it the anchor and the waves. The anchor of of a safe relationship that keeps you in one place and. Do you choose the anchor or do you choose the, the choppy waves? Uh, do you more choose passionate yes, style, more you passionate? Screaming each other and and that's passion. right. And she talks about, you know, how to keep passion alive in, in a relationship and and how not to just look at your partner as an extension of yourself. Yes. You know, that they're a separate person and they've got separate stuff going on, even though we might think we know everything that's going on out in our partner's heads. Yeah you know we we don't really i've no idea what's going on in my partner's head at the moment because my husband's head at the moment he's doing a, a course on existentialism and at the moment i don't really understand about four sentences in five that he's wow, saying yeah. so. it's, it's hard as well because when you're both passionate about different things at times as well and you're trying to have uh, 
things to talk about and not just if you're consumed with your book or something and you just want to talk about that and then they're they're at work and they've got things to bring to the table and you take each other for granted you're doing the dishes and you've got your to-do list and he's like are you listening to what I'm saying or if he's telling me a story he'll be like are you just getting ideas for your book (laughs) this is not material he's like you're really interested in this you're totally researching me right now stop making notes I'm like oh but that's really good just say that again and it's it's so easy to take each other for granted, isn't it? Really it really is. Oh. And, and that thing about not seeing each other, and I think it's really important to look at each other. Yeah. You know, we're so used to seeing each other. Um, but I do think it's very, very important to to keep connecting and keep... Well, I, t- I think it's important to take responsibility as well for keeping yourself as a separate entity. Yeah. You know, so I know that I was probably a very different person when I first met my husband, yeah. you know, and, and I've changed and developed and so has he. And I think that's part of what has helped to keep us together, that we both like change, we both embrace change, we're, yeah. we're up for new challenges and things. And, right. and so we've always got something to talk about, uh-huh. you know, okay. even if it's existentialism. <laughs> we've always got we've always got something that you know the latest passion the latest thing uh-huh, you know okay. that that we're working on so okay. whether it's a creative project or or just you know a course that we're doing or something um and I, I think that's really it feels really important I mean you can't be prescriptive about other people's relationships but that does feel important to me that you're you're separate and different as well as together yeah definitely I you mean, know it's hard isn't it oh it's, it's hard it's growing together but uh, and then kids come along oh that just adds yeah. another whole thing into Absolutely. the mix you know? yeah but i guess it's talking it's communicating um and and being as open as you can be yeah that's the biggest thing i mean yeah. you had a divorce lawyer on here and that was the first thing she really? said i said to her so what's the number one issue and it's communication of course really, yeah. people just don't talk to each other no. so if there's an issue and it builds um so for example if scott's really annoyed about the lack of housework and he just lets it build and build and build and i'm like no 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 don't let it build just tell me we'll talk about it we'll get a cleaner i mean i know you were saying a cleaner saved your life did you know which is probably saved my marriage (gasps) yeah i mean um and again it's that guilt isn't it i come from a really working class background i knew more cleaners than people who had cleaners Uh and over this past couple of months um, I've had a, a cleaner who's come in for two hours a week and it's just it's made such a difference to us and she's great and I really value what she does and we talk about what she does and how much I value it um, and and listen to me I'm saying I value it as though it's my responsibility and it's not it's all of our responsibility it's my son's and my husband's responsibility yeah. as well but guess who ends up doing most of it and so I'm doing a full-time university course, I'm teaching, I'm writing, and something had to give, yeah. you know, and I do suffer with anxiety, and part of that anxiety is I need everything to look right, so you, you know. control the environment. I control the environment, so I don't like mess, 
and I don't like things when you know I don't like a dirty sink or, or you know dishes everywhere it just it just makes me feel anxious and again it's not a value judgment it's just it gives me anxiety it's so common though because for me I love a clean tidy room I love a space yeah but at the same time, my work comes first. So if yeah. I've got an article due and there's dishes in the sink, can I'll you can you leave the dishes oh, and do it? I have really? To, because for me, I'm so focused. But but then I think it's because Scott's the opposite. He he could not sit and do his work no. until the dishes are done. Even yeah, if he's got to. I understand that. It's a different. I think you're in one camp or the other. I still like. I, I I've taken an interior design test and he said I didn't pick the rock and roll because it was perhaps a bit too cluttered for me and I needed something more rustic and contemporary because my work is so chaotic and I give all my energy to okay. it. I do love calm, clean spaces. I do. But something I have to give. I mean, yeah. four school runs some days. Oh, yeah. Work. Yeah. trying to make the dinner as well yeah. and it was like I yeah. just can't do it all yeah. I can't but so do you get help? I ha- mm, well not yet we're, we're in negotiation but Scott loves to clean well I love to clean yeah yeah, yeah. And so I, that helps <laughs> I think you know that's the thing with procrastination as well I think writers most writers will always find a nice surface to clean rather than face the blank page uh-huh. <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. there's always a cat to feed or you know something to do you need to make the bed or so I think that was part of the problem as well I was not it's not that I wasn't writing because I was busy cleaning, but it certainly didn't help. And it certainly gave me an excuse not to sit and face the blank page. And what, so when are you in flow? Have you got a formula? What brings on your creativity? Do you know, to be honest, I think it's an external deadline. So I'll tell you what, I've put a lot of deadlines on myself and self-imposed deadlines don't work for me. You know, so I'll say, that will be finished by the end of... And it's not because it's not a real deadline. So I do... And I didn't know this about myself. I do respond to a proper deadline. um, But also... You know, having having the space to write, and I don't just mean a physical space, I mean the head space yeah. to write. But we can't always create the perfect conditions. You know, sometimes, you know, we've got to sit surrounded by a bit of mess and, you know, a cat that doesn't like this week's cat food. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've, you know, we've just got to buckle down to it. I think it's easy not to write because you can be very vague as well when somebody says, how are things going? You can say, great. And, and that doesn't doesn't mean anything really yeah. you know nobody will ask you your word count unless it's another writer yeah. you know nobody says how many words did you do this week Jojo you can just say it's going great yeah I'm just uh, plodding on and I'm, yeah yeah and so it's not like where you're in a normal job where everybody's working it's a working environment you know you're not going to suddenly start cleaning your desk mm-hmm. so I think it's very hard for people who work from home to have the motivation to buckle down to it. To get into yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's hard, whatever you're doing, if you're doing it from home. It's, I think when you're in your flow, though, it feels so good. Oh, I love being in flow. Yeah, I love it. Like, oh, you forget the time, you forget everything yeah, else exists. I love that. And, it just, and oh. that's when you go, I love my job. Yeah. I love it. It's working, yeah. you know. But I, I tell you how I get into that though, I, I do this thing where I sort of physically inhabit 
pretend I'm inhabiting the body of a character. So I get into their body language. Right. So, um, you know, I'll sit, for example, like a, a character in my second book called Sadie. I will Not sit, yeah, <laughs> I will sit like Sadie sits. And, and I'll, I'll talk like she talks. So Sadie talks like this. I love it. And, uh, and it's, it's quite soft and it's scouse and but you know this is how she talks and so a facial expression is different from mine and so yeah. she speaks differently yeah. so when when I'm t when I'm writing up Sadie I'm writing in her accent um, and I'm writing in her body almost do you know what I mean yes. and so and I think that's that's for me is how I can get their authentic voices because mm -hmm. they say the true test is take away all the tags after your speech so said Sadie said Mark said Ruby and you should still be able to tell just looking at the speech who's speaking right if you change, know change. it's a good test it's a good test interesting yeah so changing the tone and absolutely changing the tone and the language they use and mm -hmm. um all of that. I mean, that you know, it, it, I think it's quite challenging as well, differentiating between characters because these are people that don't even exist yeah. apart from in your head. Oh, so, so, so that's you know that's a challenge as well. And and I often um, uh, cut out photographs and stick them uh, up on a board of people who I think look like my characters. Oh, I love this. So, you know, I've got I've got a Sadie and I've got a Mark and I've got Sadie's mom and dad and, oh. you know, I've got all of those characters. Um, and I don't know who they are. They're just faces I've found. So what I've done is I've done a description uh -huh. of how I see the character and then looked at lots and lots of faces and then printed them off, cut them out and and there they oh, are. I love that. <laughs> See, I started doing um, some research for my second book on an idea I'm playing with, and I was interviewing someone um, who has given me permission to use them as a character. Oh. And I said, What would your character be called? called? And she told me, she, I said, Okay, we could do that name. So it was kind uh, of like letting them have a little bit yeah, of a pick yeah. if we go with that one, um, which I think could have arms and legs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then. I'm not sure if it would work out where I would interview every person. Some may be in my head, but some may be based. Yeah. So yeah. Like, oh, what would you like to be called? And what would if, if it was based on me and part of it? What would I call? Yeah. To, like make all these notes and. I think that's a really good way of doing it as well. It's like just you know scaffolding the characters and 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 writing a little bit about your characters before you get started yeah. so you've you've almost got the full cast yeah. you know what i mean and they'll develop through the book and they might change because of you know the plot or what happens to them in in the in, in the course of the, the novel but i think starting off with a, a really strong idea certainly of who your main characters are it's really helpful um and it helps me because you know as i say i can on this physically be I imagine that I'm you know that character and that works for male characters as well as female oh, characters as well love that. yeah so uh, just don't wax the moustache for a couple of days so how many main characters should you have oh I you know I think that there are no rules and I think if something is engaging and resonant then you know it's quite right that there should be no main rules i think it's important for a writer though to be able to keep 
them all different and separate mm-hmm. and keep a really strong grip on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I belonged to a, a writing group. In fact, I set the writing group up a few years ago and we used to meet and talk about our characters and they became real for everybody in the writing group and one of the main things uh, that one of the main bits of feedback that we would give each other is would that character really do that we got to know the characters really well and so I think if you're playing with a huge cast of characters that can be a risk that you know you you almost forget who who they are as individuals mm-hmm. and I think the readers need to keep a, a grip on who they are as well exactly. you don't want it to become too confusing that's right um, yeah I'm thinking I love sex in the city so you've yes. got four really four. strong female yeah, characters that's that are it. all different yeah. and you know you you buy into them yes um, and you couldn't imagine for example you couldn't imagine Carrie saying a line that Charlotte would say exactly they're so they're so differentiated and I think that's the key mm-hmm. and I think that's why it's probably a good idea to keep a small cast of main characters I mean um, you know certainly for my first book it was one main character and that was Judy. I mean, the, you know, the clues in the title, the emergence of Judy Taylor. But, but actually, there, there was, a, a, I suppose, a well-defined cast around her. But what we always wanted to know was what was happening to Judy. It's very interesting. I've heard I'm doing a film course at the moment, uh, 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 writing for television, sorry, writing for, for screen and television. Um, in Glasgow, I'm loving it. But one of the uh, one of the quotes that I've written down from the tutor is, "I'll tell you what viewers and and I've translated this to readers as well. I'll tell you what viewers want to know. They're not interested in the symbolism or any of that. They're interested in what happens next. Nice. And that's the thing. You want your char- your readers, stroke viewers, to be so invested in a character or a small cast." that they want to know what happens next to them. You know, they're invested in. And and I think, you know, I mean, citing Sex and the City is a really good example of where you're rooting for four very different people. Exactly. You know, and you know that they wouldn't all want the same thing. Yeah. You know, and so I, I think if you can create characters that in some way speak to somebody. And that starts with you as a writer, I think. You know, Judy really spoke to me. And, you know, people often say, oh, is, you know, is Judy you? Or, are you? you know, Judy's not me, but obviously I wrote her, so there's a lot of me in her. But she, I really care about her. And now I'm not writing any Judy. I think about her and I drive past the places where... You know, she opened. I drive past. Oh no, I can't. I, that's a spoiler alert. But I drive past p- places where Judy in the book visits and I think about her. What happens? Does she get married? Does she? I mean, I know. Well, I think I think I I drop some uh, some clues throughout the book that uh, that Judy's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, it was brilliant the way you did it. I just. I love it. Taking people on a story is such a gift. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And you take yourself on that on that journey as a writer as well, I yeah, think. Yeah, you do. You go with it. Yeah. Um, and what you were saying was really interesting because Judy did something that was quite brave. 
and a lot of people can relate to that when you you were saying earlier about being rejected I'm not ready to be rejected again you know no. career, to decide to leave your career and go and do something completely different I, you know I think what Judy did and I know she's a character but she's real to me um, I think what Judy did was quite brave in that she gave something up that wasn't uh, she, she gave a life up that wasn't a bad life at all. It was, you know, what a lot of people would think is a, a really quite a nice life. The husband was nice. He was really he was nice. He was, he was nice. He was nice to her. He was, uh, yes. And I've had, <laughs> I've had a lot of feedback on that about how, you know, how she could leave such a, such a nice guy. But I think sometimes um, in order to become who we want to be we have to be around different people mm-hmm. um, and those people might come back into our lives yeah. but I think she did the, the ultimate thing of geographically moving you know she, she relocated and um, she left you know her family behind and I think that's a strong I think that's a strong political statement from a woman. I think women are encouraged to stay around and be the caretakers. And she had ageing parents. Exactly, and she had pressure from her brother. Absolutely, who wasn't stepping up, you know. And so, you know, I was talking a lot about the expectations of women. Um, I mean, I hope it reads like a breezy read, but... I think I was making some serious points as well about the expectations of women, the pressures on women, and how it's much more difficult for a woman to say, stop this, I want to start again. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're not a young spring chicken, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's it's really hard to start a life where there are no guarantees, because we think all of our rejection is behind us, as we were talking about before. And actually, if you start a new career, I mean, I'm just trying to move into television writing now, and I know that will be a career where there's a lot of rejection, you know, and a lot of people saying, no, that's not for us, or no, that's not exactly right, can you change it? You go back with it, it's not right, can you change it? And we have to kind of, we have to brace ourselves for that. But do you know what? I think that's really living. When you can feel... (laughs) <laughs> the wind going past your face as you're moving through a new life I think that's really living I think it's much easier to keep the status quo mm-hmm. and I think that is lovely if you're enjoying the status quo great but I think if you have I mean I meditate for example so I do get quiet moments and I think if you have any doubt that you're living the life that you want to live, I think you should put some serious thought into changing it. I'm not telling everybody, my husband always says to me, uh, God, are you just telling women to leave their husbands? And that's not what I'm, what I'm doing at all. But what I'm saying is, you know, as far as we know, we only get one life. Yeah. And so, you know, live, live it. it. Exactly, we said live it, you know, uh, and that's not always an easy thing to do, and you don't have to do it in a huge way, but you can start to make small changes that make you feel as though you are 
moving in a slightly different direction. I love that. I'd encourage every, not only women, but I'd, women are mostly discouraged from doing it. I'd encourage everybody to do it, but particularly women. Focus on it. Mean, I said in, I think it was chapter seven or eight, Gold Diggers, uh, to focus on maybe a couple of things that you want to do. Yeah. And just focus. Yeah. And part of me had that voice in my head saying, oh, you sound so arrogant here. But it was just true. It was my truth. I was yes. speaking. Yeah. This is this is what was going on in my head. Yeah. And it's how I was able to build Mommy Jojo into a kind of brand. Yes. Um, and there's all these limiting beliefs telling you, no, don't do it. There'll be, it'll be rejections. And it sounds like you're doing amazing on this course. Like, um, I can see, I can't wait to watch your show. Uh, cast me in it, a mojo character. Um, <laughs> no, but I, uh, it takes guts. It ta- it's hard, it but does, it's yeah. magical. But you know, when you engage your guts, it feels great. Oh, for the do you know what I mean? <laughs> and even if you're just you're just changing one small thing, yeah, it could be anything. Just that's... you know, just change that one thing and see it through to the end, and then that will tell you, oh, I can make changes. So maybe the next change I'll make be slightly bigger, slightly more significant, mm-hmm. and then you do that. And then you change another thing, and then you change another thing, and before you know it, you're a screenwriter. Oh, amazing! <laughs> I'm so excited to see what what the future holds. Uh, award-winning author next award-winning screenwriter. Oh, amazing! That's be that's honestly going to have inspired so many people. So oh God, I hope so. I'm so chuffed. And if any of your listeners are thinking of writing, just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Just you know. Just get a scrap piece of paper and start. I'm sending you book number two for your feedback. <laughs> just, need to, just need to get there first. But um, uh, you're amazing. I, I love the way your mind works. You've got a marvellous mind. Oh, so you. keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. Well, what a girl. Not only is Angela Jackson an award-winning writer, she also happens to be an incredible singer. And Angela will say that... Singing is great for your physical and mental health, and I agree, which is why I do it so much here. Listen to this voice. Angela, sing us out. You are an absolute queen. This joy is something in my arms are holding me. Never knew this will be full. Whoever thought I'd be holding you close to me, whispering. It's you I adore, dearest one, if you should. What a sexy voice. It's cut off, but um, I need to get her back to sing with the mics. I didn't realise how good she was. You are incredible. Um, but yeah, however you sound, guys, keep singing, all right? Sing like no one's listening. Singing is so good. We should all sing. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. Have a great week. Mojo.